From the beautiful city of West Hollywood, we bring you Film Forward, the official podcast of the Los Angeles Diversity Film Festival. Welcome back to Film Forward. We are delighted to be joined by Miss Shannon Riggs, a brilliant producer who's had a very busy and admirable career. Welcome, Shannon. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Uh, Shannon has a miniseries, The Innocent Man, that's premiering on Netflix on December 14th. And her latest feature film, The Smartest Kids in the World, is a documentary that chronicles four American teenagers who study abroad in countries that dramatically outperform the United States in education. The film just had its premiere at Doc New York City, one of the biggest documentary film festivals in the world. Shannon, I loved this film. Oh, wow, thank you. Thank you for saying that. Not only because it sheds light on our education system, which it does, but uh, the teens in this documentary. Yeah. Not only the American teens, but the, like, the teens abroad also. Uh, they really filled me with a lot of hope for our future. How did you guys select the four students? Sure. Um, well, first I should uh, reveal that we followed more than four students. Only four made it into the cut. Oh, really? But, wow. Yeah, but we actually um, followed... At different times, I would say seven different students. Wow. Um, one only got one trip. But the way we um, found the kids is uh, the film is based on a book by Amanda Ripley, also called uh, Smartest Kids in the World. And she had relationships already with different exchange programs, Rotary, one called AFS, YFU. And so we reached out to all the different exchange programs first and asked them. I mean, There's a lot of layers required to get somebody to participate in a documentary. So, be, especially since they're minors and traveling yeah, and all that stuff. Exactly. So we so it, we started out just reaching out to the exchange programs and they gave us names of kids that they thought might be open, maybe more outgoing or just whatever criteria they felt was appropriate, they gave us names. We knew we wanted to go to countries that were in the top 10 on a test called the PISA test, which we go into a little bit in the film. And so we then eliminated anybody that wasn't going on exchange to one of those countries. And then we set up Skype interviews with them to see how comfortable they were talking about themselves and sort of get a little sense of their personality. And once we thought that they might be a good fit, we went to their homes and filmed with them both at home and in their community and at their home school in the U.S., and then from there, <laughs> we continue to whittle it down and decide who would be the best fit for us to go on exchange with them overseas. At that point, though, we had to reach out to those schools and those host families to get permission. And so along the way, with every step, we had to get permission. <laughs> right. and, and so some people we didn't film with simply because we couldn't secure permissions from right. their school or their homes or them even in some cases. Or the countries they're traveling to. Yeah. And but you're always like the, the most important thing that you're looking for. This project's a little different because we did have these criteria that had to be met. But the main thing that you look for when you're looking at a documentary subject is do they have a story to tell? Um, and that sort of dictates how comfortable they're going to be on camera because they have to believe that they have a story worth telling too. Absolutely. Yeah. And so. I think you guys did a great job of selecting these students from very different backgrounds. It yeah. seems like this, the yeah. kid Jackson from Wyoming is like, he couldn't have had a more different childhood. I would assume that, uh, you know, from Simone, who's from uh, the Bronx, right? Sure. 
Yeah. And then them traveling to two very different countries and getting two very different perspectives on on uh, traveling abroad. And those countries are different in their education systems. It Indeed. was uh, it was very enjoyable to watch. Um, what is it like shooting a documentary? Once you were able to get all these permissions and all this stuff, which I'm sure was a process in itself, shooting a film in four different countries or seven different countries, if that's where you shot, and then also in all of these states in the United States, how do you begin to prepare for for filmmaking like that? Yeah, um, I think if I'm to be totally blunt and honest is like we could not have anticipated how difficult it actually was going to end up being. Right. We and uh, before we started filming, we did talk about maybe having two different teams, like an Asia team and a Europe team. Mm-hmm. But Tracy Tragos, who is the director, she's a very hands-on director. She creates very strong bonds with subjects. And uh, and we were also just moving at a very fast pace because we knew we had this nine-month window where they were going to be on exchange and we had to capture as much as we could in all these different places. So it was tough. We would go on a trip to, say, South Korea, come back for a week, and uh, we would all get sick and have jet lag <laughs> and then roll into the office and prepare for the next trip and then all head back out to Belgium, and which is one, Fanny is one of the characters who ended up not in the film, but we filmed a lot with her in Belgium. We would try to do two countries on each trip if we could. Often we didn't. Wow. Um, And we are a very, very small team of people, and we were just in a constant state of prep and production, prep and production. And, you know, like on a narrative film, you know, you might be shooting for 30 days or 60 days, however many days, and you know it's intense, and you might be exhausted and tired and all of those things, but you can do anything for that amount of time. Right. You know when the end is You know when the end is. And we were in that state constantly for the entire, you know, nine-plus months, and it was it was a real endurance test. Yes, it's a marathon. Yeah, you. it's a marathon. The film just screened at uh, Doc NYC. How did how did that go? And the, this the teens were there, right? All four of the- all four of the teens were there, and that was their first time meeting. So it was really cool. And like you said, Simone and Jackson have a completely different experiences and backgrounds. And it was it was interesting to see them all interact because for. Like, for example, Sadie, who is from Maine, and she went to Switzerland, and when I was talking to her after the screening, she was like, you know, it makes me feel really privileged because I had troubles at my school, but Jackson didn't even have school five days a week, you know? Right. And so, and to see all the kids in many ways feel better about their experience and their challenges and the things that scared them, to know that other kids went through the same thing. Um, So it was actually really rewarding to see all of them interact and ask each other questions about education, but also just what it's like to be a kid, you know? So it was pretty neat to see them. How did the the parents react to the film if they did it all? Did they come to the screening as well? Yeah, all four kids had a parent with them. And we filmed with all of the parents at one point. They're not necessarily in the film, in the version of the film that it ended up being, but all of them got to know us a little bit and mm-hmm. um, and all of them got used to the camera a little bit and right. so but so when they watched the film i think that they were thrilled because they didn't get to see their kids on exchange right. and so this was their first time seeing some of their kids experience and you know sure they saw photos and probably snapchats but it was different cuz we delve in so deep into each one of their experiences that they were really 
uh, excited to have that connection with their kids. What did you take away from the film? Not in its completed form, but when you're traveling and seeing all of these different school systems and all these different countries, what were you taking away from the experience besides, you know, I'm sure you're running around like crazy trying to make the film happen, but did you ever have time to digest just how different this was compared to to our system? So for something that we didn't get to touch upon, but I thought was really interesting and powerful was the public transportation in Switzerland. Mm -hmm. And the way that I saw it play out and was most floored is that uh, kids that lived in rural areas far away from the best schools still could go to the best schools because they have trains everywhere. And so they would build these state-of-the-art schools but everybody was welcome. It wasn't divided by class in the way that we are here in the U.S. Everybody has access to it. And in many ways, I think it is because you can just hop on a train and get there. And that was something that I thought was really remarkable that we didn't get to go into in the film. Right. Uh, but but it, but that was, inter- you know, just sort of even beyond education, just having access to things can change a person's life. So, right. th- so that was interesting. Not closing doors to uh, exactly. people because of where they live or their socioeconomic status. Exactly. And that just, you know, that that's a big thing. And we did notice in all the European countries, and this is a big takeaway from the film, is really just that teenagers are treated differently with more respect, like on the verge of being adults, which they are, and they just have so much more independence in all of the countries that we visited. And and I felt like because of that, they rose to the occasion in, in most cases. Absolutely. That's something I took away from the film was when Jackson's in class and he's talking about, you know, kind of the fear of failure right. with these students. They're having these very adult conversations and everybody's listening and attentive and they're respecting you know yes. what he's saying is like I, I can't imagine that conversation happening in an American high school without somebody right you know picking on him is 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 very interesting well and you have to wonder if they're doing it for the camera but um, first of all we spend a ton of time in all the schools so they can't constantly be performative but uh, we knew that it wasn't just for the camera because we learned from filming in the US schools and the things that happened in those classrooms they didn't shy away from that even though they were on camera. So some of the bad behavior, it was just really interesting what people were willing to do on camera. Right. All right, we're talking about the future of the world and our kids with producer Shannon Riggs. If you want to know more about the smartest kids in the world, uh, Shannon, where can they go? Smartestkidsmovie.com. We're going to take a little break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about one of the films from Shannon's past, the Sundance Darling award-winning documentary, Gleason. This is Film Forward News, news for all you cinephiles out there. Unfortunately, we are starting with some sad news. The streaming service Filmstruck is no more. Filmstruck was a joint venture between Turner Classic Movies and the Criterion Collection. We'd like to thank Filmstruck for two years of brilliance, fun, and for focusing on quality, not quantity. Now for some good news. After closing for 11 months, the renovated and updated New Beverly Theater is opening its doors again. All celluloid, all the time. I'll be there at least three times a week, so come on in, say what's up, I'll buy you a pop. See you all at the movies. And welcome back to Film Forward. We are talking with producer and filmmaker Shannon Riggs, and we're going to talk about the film Gleason. Gleason was released in 2016 and is about a former New Orleans Saints defensive back who, at the age of 34, was diagnosed with ALS. 
Weeks later, he finds out that his wife Michelle is pregnant. The documentary begins as a video journal for his unborn son, but it evolves into much more than that. Sonia, uh, the LADFF festival director, and I saw this film, uh, and it absolutely floored us. And because of that, LADFF donates every year to Team Gleason, uh, which assists people with ALS and raises global conversation of this disease. The movie, Shannon, this this film still sticks with me two years after viewing it. Um, how does the film resonate with you now, two years after completing it? Um, I mean, it's it's crazy because Gleason, I feel like, is in many ways a once-in-a-lifetime career opportunity. It's actually also what brought me into documentary. I wasn't even doing documentary films prior to Gleason. And my friend and director of the film, Clay Twill, asked me if I wanted to join him on this journey, which I had I'd been hearing about and understanding, and there was no way I could say no. And I still feel as passionate now as I did then about the power of story and the power of this story. Uh, everybody knows on the team that I'm a softie and I cried the entire summer we were making <laughs> Gleason. We were editing because of a part of one of my duties was I was watching all of the the videos he made direct that Steve made directly for Rivers yeah. and going through and s- sort of trying to find material out of that. And I was just bawling the whole time. And it, it's interesting because I I watched it so many times when we were making it and then in post and color and whatever, you know, and I hadn't watched it in a really long time. And uh, a couple of weeks ago, Clay was going to do an anatomy of a scene and was going to use Gleason at the Doc NYC Festival to sort of talk about how to edit a scene. And we were rewatching it and I just was in tears all over again, so moved. And I just feel so fortunate to be a part of a project like that and to have gotten to meet the, you know, Steve and Michelle and Rivers and everybody involved with Team Gleason. Sometimes we got to do projects to pay the bills, you know, or we, we work on projects because, you know, we just say yes to a job. I have, I'm sure you have also, but, you know, for uh, a project like this that holds so much resonance and is, you know, telling a very important story and also doing a very important thing. Um, it's got to give you a sense of of pride of like this is this is why I'm doing this, right? Yeah, I could retire now and feel like I've, <laughs> I've done it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, look, I like I said, it was my first documentary, and to be have that be your first is pretty amazing. Um, and again, I just feel so fortunate to have gone along with it. And what I love about it is that it's a film about people and it's a character driven story that does have you think about ALS team Gleason ways you can help. But at the core of it, it's about this family and those are the types of movies I like to watch. So to get to make something like that feels really good. So you mentioned that was your first documentary film and since then you've done several others. What does, what draws you to documentary filmmaking, especially after that first experience? So I have always liked watching documentaries. I've thought about it a little bit prior to Gleason, but once I worked on Gleason and, you know, it it did pretty well, it was well received. So I did get other offers and I work with Clay and, and we've continued to work together. But one of the things that I think I discovered was that what makes for a good documentary producer is very much 
you know, more in my wheelhouse, which I didn't realize before I started making documentaries. How so? Uh, One of the most important tasks of being a documentary filmmaker or producer is gaining access, and that involves gaining trust. And so being down to earth, easy to talk to, uh, honest, all of those things, those are traits that really help you in documentary. Not to say that you shouldn't have those attributes when making narrative. But they don't help you. (laughs) They they don't help you. And they're golden in documentary. Right. You know, and so, and I'm a people person and a curious person. I like to listen and, and it's just, it's served me well so far in documentary. And how does the filmmaking process differ? I'm sure it differs in a lot of ways, but what are like the biggest differences that you notice from narrative filmmaking and documentary filmmaking? Sure. I mean, in documentary, you can prepare, but there's no script. And right. and you may think you know what's going to happen, but you really don't. So you have to be flexible. Mm-hmm. You have to be very flexible. You have to think on your feet and, and, and just adapt. And I, so I think one of the biggest differences is, I believe in narrative, the more preparation, the better your shoot is going to go. And sure, there's room for improv, but you know, for the most part, you know, the better prepared you are, the better it's going to be. And for documentary, certainly there's preparation involved, but the more flexible you are and able to follow the leads as they present themselves, the better the content will be. So that's that's a big difference. And another being that the movie is really found in the edit right. with documentary, which, again, that can be true in narrative. I think there's more similarities than differences um, right. in the two mediums. But editorial and that collaboration between a director and the editor is very powerful and important, key in in documentary. Right. Shannon, talk to us about The Innocent Man, the Netflix miniseries that's going to be released on December 14th. So The Innocent Man is a true crime docu-series with Netflix that Clay Twill, the director of Gleason, is directing. And I was fortunate to be asked to come along. Uh, I'm particularly interested because I love true crime and which is not always the easiest thing to explain because it's not that I love murder, but I do <laughs> love true crime stories. And so this was a real treat to get to to um, be a part of this project. It's based on a book by John Grisham with the same title. It's his only nonfiction book. And we sort of delved into these two murders of these women in Ada, Oklahoma, uh, to sort of reveal what might have not gone right with the cases surrounding them. Right. So this is a doc- series, um, how does that differ from, say, a documentary film, which you had done with uh, Gleason? Was that different for you and Clay? Yeah, it was very different. And Clay and I approached it uh, the same way as we approach films, which I think was very helpful and kept us honest. But at the end of the day, it was like making three movies at once, right? (laughs) you know, in order to make six six episodes. And so we learned a lot about that process. And I think we learned the importance of dividing and conquering uh, because it is a lot. It is hard to make that much content and make it at the level that you make your films. You know, we had a no fluff policy, so we didn't want to just have a bunch of filler in the episodes. You know, we right. were we were trying to make every bit of content top notch. So yeah, make it all count. Make it all count exactly, and and that's challenging because it's a lot to cover. You know, absolutely. So once again, you can check out the Innocent Man. I'm looking forward to watching it. It's going to be released on Netflix on December 14th. 
We're going to take another break. And when we come back, Shannon is going to give me three. Submissions are now open for the 2019 Los Angeles Diversity Film Festival. Submit today through Film Freeway or at LADFF.com. You really want to submit to this film festival. I had mine in it this year and I loved every minute. And we are back with producer and filmmaker Shannon Riggs, and we are going to get into every cinephile's favorite segment, Gimme Three. Shannon, let's start with your first one. So the first movie came to mind immediately, and it's called Once We're Warriors. It came out in 1994. It is a New Zealand film. Ooh. Yes, and uh, my roommate in college was from Hawaii, and she's actually who introduced me to it. And it's still powerful and meaningful to me today. It's about essentially the socioeconomic struggles of indigenous people. Wow. Uh, yeah, and, and it's, it's really great. Well, that sounds great. Yeah, highly recommend it. Once We're Warriors. Yes. Okay, beautiful. And your second one. My second film is called Lahine. It's a French film. Oh, yes. <laughs> of course you know it. Of yeah. course you know it. Um, not everybody does, but I just love that film. Um, I'm, I guess I'm a 90s girl. That also came out in the 90s. I didn't see it until later. And, um, you know, my, my first job was working for Spike Lee, and I feel like this film is a little bit of a nod to do the right thing. Oh, absolutely. You know, and, and it's filmed in black and white. Mm-hmm. It's, um, it follows these three teenagers uh, for 24 hours after a very violent riot in France, and it feels very timely. I think you should all watch it now, Absolutely. Too. And it's just a really beautiful film. Perhaps more timely now than when it was released, <laughs> at least for us. I don't know about Agreed. for them. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. And then my third film that I chose is a documentary. Figured that I might as well throw one of those out. Yeah. And it's called Hands on a Hard Body. Okay. And it's pretty, um, it, it is not widely known, but it is about a competition in Texas where people can um, enter a competition where they put their hand on a car and whoever keeps their hand without moving wins the car. And so the, <laughs> that's there's a that '70s show episode about that. I oh, remember. really? Yeah. Okay. So this film actually also came out in the '90s, and Robert Altman was going to do a narrative version. Oh, before cool. he, Before he 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 died, so that never ended up happening. But it is, you know, that sounds like the most boring thing ever to watch. Um, during the course of the film, it's it actually goes for 77 hours, I think, something like that. Wow. But the way that people's personalities and it's like the highest stakes ever you would think just to win this car and it's fascinating and there's a scene and there's all these characters that do it a bunch of times i'm sure yeah 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 Yeah. there's there's people like you know the guy who won last year comes back and tries to win again (laughs) And, and it's really it's it's truly it has like all it's contained it has all the restrictions you could imagine for a documentary but somehow manages to be absolutely fascinating uh, so that's that's a highly recommended. I think I'm going to watch that tonight. Good. That sounds good. Like right now, <laughs> as soon as, before we even hit the stop button. That sounds amazing. I want to hear what you think. I will. I will let you know. Shannon, thank you so much for doing this. Uh, once again, Shannon's recommendations are Once Were Warriors, New Zealand film, Lahine, French film, and Hands on a Hard Body, a documentary film. Three movies, three different countries. I like that, Shannon. That's what that's what we're looking for with the Gimme Three. Shannon, thank you so much for coming on Film Forward. We were blessed to have you. 
Um, the Smartest Kids in the World. You can get more information about that at smartestkidsmovie.com. Her docuseries, The Innocent Man, comes out December 14th on Netflix. And Gleason is available to view on Amazon. And I highly recommend that you check it out and uh, grab a tissue box while you do it. Shannon, thank you again. Thanks for having me.